Hi, I'm Law Blank, and you're listening to Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Hey, Dream Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 41 of Chasing Dreams. I have a new friend I'd like to introduce you to introduce to you guys today. His name is Law Blank, and he has tenaciously and passionately pursued his career in art for the past 30 years. Law has his work shown in galleries nationally and internationally, and has collectors all over the globe. Honestly, I've never met anyone who could say that, so this is really cool for me. His current work explores the dark, mythic, and confusing notions of childhood memories within his series, Reconnecting Time and Memory, Buddha, Munchausen, Freud. This cathartic series has Law exploring his own memories through his visual storytelling. Law is also busy as a board member of the Sing Me a Story Foundation and the resident theater company in Westchester, Pennsylvania, as well as the founder of Start Talking Art, an organization dedicated to discussions around art and creativity. And he's taken his time to come onto this show and share a little about his dream chase. And I can't thank him enough. Hey, Law, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Amy. Thanks for having me. Guys, listen to that voice, right? (laughs) Okay, you guys are going to enjoy that voice for another 30 or so minutes. So at the end, I want you to tweet him and tell him he should do voiceover, okay? (laughs) Thank you. You're too kind. (laughs) Law, how did you even, like when you were young, was art a thing for you? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, And this is the whole thing about reconnecting time and memory, my new series uh, of paintings. Because when I look back and I tell people, the age of two is when I decided I wanted to be an artist. Now, that could be a total fabrication. I, I was going to no say. In, in my mind, that's when I decided. Because I knew my mother had always said I was always drawing. It was just something, drawing, painting, doing anything creative was, was just part of my daily living, along with sports. So I had a kind of a mix. But um, You're it, just the overall player, aren't you? I I like dabbling there. it all. Yeah, I try not to be a uh, you know mediocre in anything. So I don't like the idea of you know jack of all trades, master of none. I want to master them all. So that's why I'm I don't sleep. <laughs> that would explain it. Yeah. So at the age of two, we'll just go with it. The age two, of two, two to four. Let's give it two a two to four. Basically, a pretty young age. You kind of knew art was your thing. So I, I did. At that young age, what was your medium of choice? Do you remember? Uh, co- colored pencils and just um, charcoal. And dirt, I would just use dirt and and paint on paper or the sidewalks. Going to the shore, I would do big drawings in the sand. You know, just anything I could do to just create, you know. I wasn't very good at it. You know, I I didn't actually come into my own as an artist until maybe, you know, I'll even venture to say my 30s, I became a real artist. Although I'd been practicing since, you know, 17 or 18 and and showing in galleries. But um the notion was always there that that's, that's what I was going to do. That's my, my purpose. Now, at such a young age, it's very easy to be vulnerable to criticism. Uh-huh. Did you 
ever at some point say, this isn't worth it, let me stop because of it, of the negativity you were getting? Or, I mean, did you even get negativity? No, and and and, and that's, that's kind of a problem, actually, when... You know, I have two small children now, and, and actually they're, they're very good artists themselves. Like they do very good work, and they go off the rails a lot, but I'm honest with them about it. You know, I say, oh, that was, you know, it's a really great idea. You know, let's work on this, work on that. When I grew up, it was just, oh, that's great. Oh, that's wonderful. Just like platitudes, which is great because everybody wants to, you know, pump up their children and make them feel good. But I really think there needs to be some constructive criticism, for even for children, done in a way that – you know, makes them see the value of what they're doing, but also the value in in continuing to develop and grow. Um, and I don't think I got that. Even when I was a, a young artist showing in galleries, you know, I just felt like I was getting platitudes from people and nobody was really giving me honest feedback uh, until I met my wife. And then she certainly started giving me <laughs> She didn't hold back. <laughs> yeah. but, but I think there's there's real value in that. And I think adults tend to forget that you know, children are tough and they need to learn and they need to learn different lessons in different ways. And it can't just be about all positive reinforcement as in you're doing a great job. That's awesome. That's fantastic. They have to have some kind of, you know, critical, you know, feedback as well done in a way that that still bolsters their their spirit and their creativity and their confidence. See, I think you said it. Interesting point right there, though, done in a way to also bolster and a lot of people don't really know how to give constructive criticism. And I guess they fall back on uh, general comments and and platitudes, as you will, um, in general. So maybe it's interesting because it's curious. Like if I gave constructive criticism to a five-year-old and their art, I'm not sure if I have any standing to say anything because one, (laughs) I'm not very good at that kind of thing. But uh, do you think that in general, people should give constructive criticism, even if they're not in the discipline? Well, I think at that age, you're not really in the discipline. You're just kind of doing whatever comes your way. And it's just part of, you know, evolving in nature as a, as a human being. So I, I, I think being, yeah, I, I guess being critical is more helping them, you know, harness their creativity. And it, so basically what I do with my my six-year-old now, you know, he's always in the studio with me. He's always painting. I always gave him his own canvases and he has his own paints. Um, and, you know, sometimes he would just take a canvas, just take blue and just, you know, smear it on the canvas and, <laughs> and that's painting. I'm like, well, that's that's great. Well, how about we add a few different colors? Or is there something you have in your mind, you know, that, you know, I could draw out for you and then you start painting around that. You know, maybe we can collaborate. Um, just a way to show that there's, you know, there's the act and the fun of just like getting dirty and, and creating that way. And then there's the, the creating something that you can look back on and say, I can articulate what that was. And, and that's what I always try and get them to. And I don't think there should be such a huge emphasis where you're, you know, like a drill sergeant getting them to, you know, grooming them to be, you know, a master artist. But I like the idea of teaching kids at a younger age to be thoughtful about what they're doing. Um, and it doesn't have to be all the time. It's just like on those moments, like, okay, we have studio time. We're going to sit down and we're going to, you know, work on a painting. Let's think about what we're going to do. And just this year, we started, I started putting together still lifes for them. You know, I put, you know, a whole bunch of objects on the table. I'll say, okay, I want you to draw that first as best you can. It doesn't have to be perfect. Don't worry about it. Draw it, create, you know, your, your, your composition, and then we're going to paint it. And he's never, you know, never really did that before. He just kind of did things out of memory. So that's the progression, just, you know, slowly introducing. And then it becomes more, 
uh, commonplace for me. It's like, oh, okay, well, the thought process is I have to have an idea in my head. Then I want to figure out how am I going to represent that idea. Do I need to have objects? Do I need to do it from you know sketches? And so he's really working on a process that will help him out through the rest of his life, not just in art, but in, in any facet, business, school. Um, so it's a lot of work thinking about those things as a parent or as an educator, but I think it's, uh, it's, it's invaluable. No, I think that's a good point. It, it kind of moves away from the everybody's a winner for participating yeah, yeah. kind of mindset, which, uh, you know, has its place. You know, but I think you're right that there is something to be said about constructive criticism because there can be something about uh, building character Mm -hmm. also. You know, that being said, don't just throw, you know, negative comments at a person without being helpful. That's just not helpful at all. Yeah. And and there's no room for, you know, if if a five-year-old does a painting and you're like, oh, that composition is way off. I want to use that color with that. (laughs) That that's ridiculous. I mean, nobody should ever do that because there's only positive reinforcement for the kids. But again, when I say constructive criticism, it means you know helping them get to that next level yeah. and and doing it in a way that again doesn't make them feel like they've made a mistake. It's like there are no mistakes. It's like you're just building upon what you've learned here, and you're adding some more elements as we go further down the road. So as you were growing up, right, it, growing into this thing, you're loving. Did you have a mentor or a guide who provided that kind of criticism? Because you said that you didn't really get that much, but, Mm-mm. you know, especially in schools, I would think that there'd be someone to help. Well, well, my mother is very creative and, uh, you know, she, she loved art, you know, when, when she was younger and, and she was very good at drawing. So I always, you know, watched her when she would do some drawing and, and that always inspired me. But frankly, I was always in the library, even as a kid, I was a geek. You know, I, I loved pulling books out and I would read you know, books about space and, and grab, you know, different books about, you know, Van Gogh. Like even when I was young, I was, I was pulling books out on some of the masters. Um, and we had books in the house on that. So really just, and even the Sunday comics, you know, like when the, the old school, you know, comic strips, you know, I'd always be drawing Snoopy and, um, I miss those. Garfield. Yeah, I know. They, they just Today with the digital anymore. newsletter news and stuff, I do kind of miss the opening the paper for the comic section alone. Right. But you know what? Actually, Mad Magazine, I used to get that when I was a, you know, a young teenager. And I just, I loved the drawings in there. And they were just so you know, irreverent. And so I would always copy them. So it's doing a lot of copying. Like, I, I, I lay no claims to being an artist who can draw something just out of my head. Like, if you ask me to draw, oh, you know, draw him. And I would miserably fail unless I could actually have somebody sitting in front of me or a photograph in front of me. I mean, I know that limitation of myself. Um, So I would just, I would always be like kind of copying and and rendering things that way. So what, at what age did you start showcasing your art in galleries? Uh, My first showing was when I was 18. Really? Um, Yeah, it was in uh, Sunset Hill Art Gallery in Westchester. Small gallery, but it was really... Because I was like this young kid with all these, you know, established, you know, 30, 40, 50 year old artists, and which was pretty cool. Um, and I'm still shocked they accepted the work that I had put in there. I'm, everybody's critical of their early work, but yeah. I think it was just, and this is part of the advice I give to a, a lot of younger artists, you know, being an artist isn't just about creating the work and trying to put it in front of somebody and have them accept it. You're part of that package. And what I found when I was younger, because I was a little bit more social and, and outgoing than I am today, <laughs> um, I would just, you know, my energy, my enthusiasm, my passion for it, even if I wasn't the greatest artist then, I was still developing just that that kind of 
uh, film of passion that just kind of touched everybody and I think made opportunities for me that normally wouldn't have been there. Um, so there's something about really believing in your work, whether you're you know, uh, good or not. <laughs> it's, it's a matter of having that confidence, um, which I think every artist you, know, you, you hear about when they're younger you know, I had a misguided ego, a misguided like sense of myself as a, this great artist, or I had like you know visions that I am like I'm going to be in the museums and I'm going to be <laughs> important. If I didn't have that, I would have given up way, way early because the work didn't reflect that. <laughs> so, so it's like giving birth. You know, like you, you know, my wife, she and I talk about it. Like, I was going to say, you have reference for this. Yeah. <laughs> I have two children. I pay attention. I, I, I didn't experience, experience it physically, but she described it to me. It's just, you know, you, you have this you know, baby growing inside of you and then all this pain to get it out. And when it's finally out, something like happens where she says, you just forget the pain. You only remember like the good things. And it's like that euphoric phase that, that I think artists go through when they're creating because you just don't. You don't remember the pain and how crappy the work was because you've got this euphoria of ego. Sure. That's, that's the bubble that's around you that allows you to continue on without giving up because you are crap. <laughs> Pardon the expression. And I was. I really was. I mean, I had a lot of passion, a lot of really creative ideas. I just didn't know how to convey it. You know, so it was really a, a decade of just trying to find yourself. Yeah, just trying anything, everything. Just, I mean, no rhyme or reason and and i thought well that's my thing i just do whatever you know i'm not going to do a series i'm not going to like fall into those pigeonholes but those pigeonholes are really critical when you become a more of a thoughtful artist and more accomplished and uh i had a friend uh earl green he's a he's a piano player he studied under the loneliest monk amazing guy um and the best advice he ever gave me uh after i questioned him about practicing the same song over and over and over again i come why are you playing that again like you've done it a zillion times i hear it every single day and he's like he's like my man and that's what he was saying my man um he's like you i play this so much that when i'm when i want to play it live and i want to go out and i want to do something out here or over there you know i want to take it far as far out as i can go i always know that I can come back because I have it so down cold. Like I know every bit of this, you know, baseline piece that I can experiment. I can take it to a different level and still come right back and fit into where I need to be. Um, so it's basically you, you know, something so well that it's not a hindrance for you anymore. It allows you to go beyond what you know mm -hmm. without the fear of not knowing something. <laughs> so it's, so that's the advice I always, you know, I, I look at those formative years as you know, my just kind of risking everything because I didn't know that it was risk. You know, it was just let's get all this stuff out and then figure out how to pull it all into some cohesive body of work or or just a, a thought. You know, like childhood memory is what I'm using right now as my my you know the the subject matter, and it's it's so expansive because it really I can go out in any direction. But ultimately, that key that or that timeline is all about childhood memory. It has to, everything that happens has to come back on that timeline and fit. If it doesn't fit, it's not part of the series, but huh. I couldn't do, I couldn't be that thoughtful when I was young. It's just, I'm just going to create this and whatever. <laughs> well, given that, given that you were so young, I mean, I'm not wrong in saying that it was unusual for you to be featured in a gallery at that age. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, you know, I don't know if it's unusual or, or usual. Um, 
it's probably unusual because most people would go, you know, finish their art degree, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then start showing. But, you know, some people like me, I just, I was impatient and I just, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to, or at least socially in the art circles, you know, start putting my work out that young. And there's, you know, there's certainly, it's, I didn't set precedent. It's, there's been people, great. you're not the first and you're not yeah. necessarily the yeah. last. I just, I didn't know any better. So, which is a good thing because again, I just did it and consequence be damned and it worked out well for me. Well, so. As someone not in the know about the art community and such, what does it take to be featured like that when you were young? I mean, in normal things, I know you submit an application and you're like, hey, I'm just waiting to hear if they take it or not. That's what well, I'm envisioning. But is that well, usually close to yeah, what happens? Yeah, usually the process. I mean, again, because I didn't know any better, I would just take my portfolio walk right into the gallery and say, hey, can you see my work? That's, that's a big faux pas in, in, in normal gallery settings. You know, you submit, you know, through writing, I want to submit my portfolio for review to be part of your gallery. And there's a whole formal process. But, you know, I, I was dealing on a local level. So basically, you have local galleries, you have your regional galleries, your national galleries and international galleries. They all play by different rules. Mm-hmm. Local galleries, it's casual. You know, it's like, oh, you're a local boy. Come on in. I'll, I'll take a look at your work. And sure, we'll put a couple pieces in, in the gallery. Why not? But as you get further and further up on the, in the hierarchy, then you have to become more and more professional and have more and more of a package that you submit to them. With the advent of <coughs> excuse me, online um, capabilities, the sub- submission process is by far so much better now. If you, uh, before we used to have, are you still there? Yeah, I think, I'm uh, here. I'm still here. Okay, sorry, I just got a note on my computer that we lost connection. Oh. Um, before we'd have to take photographs. Okay, cool. We have to take photographs of our paintings. You know, really good photographs, and have slides made. It's a whole process. It just took so much time. And if you didn't have a camera, if you didn't have the money to process your 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 film, then it was all for naught because you wouldn't be able to submit anything. Now it's easy to take a picture on your iPhone and, and upload it, and hopefully it's good enough uh, for submittal. So is this something that people do themselves, or is it like in the um, theater community or in Hollywood where you have an agent who does it for you, or you could do it yourself? Yeah, you you certainly can. That's something I'm actually considering now, just getting representation so that the business end of it doesn't you know, I tend to be my own bottleneck because I have so many, you know, coals in the fire. Yeah. Uh, where, okay. where, where an agent can actually help guide you and your work. Uh, there's always this odd, t- you know, tug of war between gallery owners, um, agents, uh, and and artists because everybody has a different vision of what you know the work should be mm-hmm. an artist should retain you know autonomy over that and the the agent and the gallery should work within the confines of what the artist creates but that's not always the case sometimes the artist or the gallery and the agents will influence the artist to create work that will fit within a certain you know space um, or exhibition um, it, it happens but it just depends on what the artist's goal is like they might be like yeah well this is a great opportunity i'm going to actually you know, deviate from what I'm envisioning and, and paint these things so it'll fit in this gallery. It all depends on how important that opportunity is to you. So is, it's so, it's so much more complex than I ever imagined. I mean, it's not just writing uh, or draw, um, drawing or creating art and then, you know, putting it somewhere. There's some more 
seems like there's so many more details. Is that what getting a degree does help you learn what the details are? Absolutely. I think, well, and I think a lot of art programs need to, they do prepare, you know, their artists for the future. But I think it's a whole new world out there, especially with the, the deluge of artists online. It's, it's really saturated. Um, so the thing that will set an artist apart from the millions of people that are either hobbyists, they do it on the weekend, or they just like painting, they put their work out there to see if they can sell some of it. Um, might not have any p- professional as- you know, aspirations. Um, and might not even be that good. Like there's a whole spectrum of like, Great artwork and just stuff that should just remain private. Uh, yeah, your your mother's <laughs> wall or the refrigerator. And I'll, I'll be bold enough to say that I'm sorry. There's just some work that should not be out there, um, and it's out there, and it's taking up space for you know other artists who are really trying to you know focus on their careers. But that's what we have to deal with. I mean, and so you work, you figure out creative ways to set yourself apart. And I think one being professional. You know, having a great website, having great photographs taken of your work, being able to articulate your work, being able to network and talk to people, not just online. People have this notion that, oh, I'm going to put my gallery out there online, I'm going to put my work out, and it's just going to sell like that. It's not that way. Online is just a vehicle. You know, most of my paintings sell because I actually talk to somebody, I build a relationship, and they feel like they're a part of my work because we've had that conversation. We've built a relationship. You can't do that online. Although... On LinkedIn, I mean, I'll, I'll give a shout out to LinkedIn, uh, which shocked me that it's one of the better art communities that I've ever been part of, where you can have really good conversations. Great artists are out there and have you know, very thoughtful responses and are in the business and are helping younger people as well. And that's, that's one of my things. Like, I want to make sure we're mentoring as older artists. Like, the back when I was young, it's like the old artists were so, like, you know, Unapproachable? Uh, yeah, and annoyed with the younger artists because younger artists were annoying. I'm sorry. It's just I was. I was like, <laughs> As uh, one you're myself. All, I could you're speak. the establishment. <laughs> you're, so, you're so lame. You're doing the same thing. You're a sellout, blah, 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 which is all ridiculous. That's just what we say when we're young because we're upset that we're not there yet. <laughs> so, um, But that the online you know, world is is only a tool. And that's I think that's what younger artists need to realize. You You still have to be able to articulate and, and actually talk to somebody face to face if you want to have a career in art. You know, you need to be able to, to, to talk a gallery owner into taking your work on, you know, if it doesn't really fit into what they're doing or, or they don't see your vision, you need to be able to articulate it. Uh, you know, uh, collectors, you know, anybody could be a collector. Every time I take a new job, I think QVC Home Shopping Network, I had, I started working there, man, it was back in 87 or 88 when they first started in Westchester. And I'd sit there and I'd spend all night, you know, while on the on the phones taking calls, drawing and, um, you know, bringing my photographs, my paintings. And I sold so many pieces of work to just my coworkers and people just because they'd be interested they, right. and they feel like they're part of it. So so that that level of like networking, being able to being able to communicate about your work is, is so critically important. You, you can't rely on the online, the coldness of online to really pull people in. Now, you've been featured nationally, internationally. Have you seen your work in international galleries? Do you go to, to see what that's like? Uh, no. Really? 
Usually it's, it's it's just being shipped here and there, like the UK or, or Costa Rica. Well, Costa Rica is easy because my father lives there. Um, and that's, you know, and I have a, a lot of paintings that have sold there. And uh, the former president of Costa Rica has some of my work. And But I haven't seen I haven't seen him in formal galleries. Though. Like they, I know they've been there, but it's just, you know, I, I stay... <laughs> I stay right here in my base, and I just send things out. And it, it'd be nice to travel to those. But I was going to say, Law, I think you're you're due a trip <laughs> to see something in of your work. Well, I'm hoping uh, one of these days I'll be in the Venice Biennial, and then I'll I'll certainly go or or get my work in Paris. That would be nice. So, oh, that would be amazing. Yeah. So, so I so I have goals. I still you know I'm I'm just getting back. I mean I've been I've been painting in earnest again after a long hiatus for about four or five years. And I haven't pursued, like, I'm just getting ready to start shopping galleries again. Um, only because, you know, you, you want to have a body of work that really impresses and, and really shows what you're, you're doing, uh, you know, with regards to your career. And, and this is the body of work I'm creating right now. So I'm, I'm just on the cusp of, you know, putting the work back out there. And in my younger days, I'd just be thinking locally or even like regional, like the East Coast. Um, and, and now it's just because it's easy. It's it, it's less work. It's less like trying to, you know, sure. send work back and forth. But now, you know, I'm, I'm more I'm finally at that point in my life where I'm uber serious about my career. And that means spending more and more time doing those type of uh, business related things, putting together my, my portfolio, my packet really doing the research on the galleries. It takes a lot of time. And artists, I don't think, who are just starting out, don't realize how much time you really should invest in that. You want to find the galleries that are speaking to what you're doing and are going to look at your work and say, that really fits into what we're we're speaking to here. So doing that internationally is, is difficult because you only get, like, online views yeah. of what's going on. Um, and then you can, you know, I, I look for artists who've already shown in those galleries and, and ask them what their experience was and, you know, and any, any tips or, you know. Or but that's also the benefit of probably having an agent, right? Probably, yeah. And agents have those connections and, uh, you know, it's, it sure, it costs you money to have an agent or a percentage of your sales, but it might be well worth it because every, every step you take in furthering your career and getting more representation, more sales, it. it it keeps going from there, at least if you if you're consistent. So having that agent would only lead to more opportunities. I'm sure you could do it yourself, but I'm finding you know I have a I work for you know a children's hospital. I'm on the board of all these different organizations. So my time and I have two small kids, and my family comes first before any of that. So when all of that's put to bed, work, you know, other organizations, my family. That's right. When this I, is also why you don't sleep. Right. So it's so, so you have the conundrum. Do you, do I work on painting or do I work on getting the paintings in some place, you know, into a gallery? I can't do both. It's just, it's too daunting and, and it, it zaps your energy. So that's why, you know, getting an agent probably would be a, a very prudent move. Well, it, it also explains what you were saying earlier about being your own bottleneck yeah. uh, in a sense. I mean, it's not that it doesn't happen. It just is a slower process right? as a result, right? It is. And, uh, and that brings up a very good point, and this is what I struggle with. Uh, I had a conversation with my wife about this the other day, because she's like, "Well, you know, you don't need to paint every night. You know, just come to bed because I'm, you know, I'm getting tired and, and exhausted." And then, like, there's just, and I'm trying to explain to her, there's something non tangible that I feel like this deadline that just like kind of exists in my head, like mm -hmm. it's it's t it's it's in there, 
Um, and I can't shake it for some reason. I, I f- feel compelled to create the work, whether I'm in the mood to create it, whether I'm not in the mood to create it, whether, you know, whatever's going on, I just feel this this deadline weighing over me for no reason whatsoever. I mean, I could... Right, it's self-imposed. Right, self-imposed. I could I could not paint for a couple of years and it wouldn't bother anybody or anything and I, the world would go on and my work would be just as good in a couple of years if I picked it up again. It's, I've proven that because I've taken so many hiatuses. Um, but, I, I, you know, it just is something that cannot be quelled for some reason. And I, I'm not quite sure what that is, but... I question whether, you know, I have to drive myself so hard and maybe, you know, take a more leisurely pace, but I don't think I'm going to find that. <laughs> I keep it trying. It could be your passion that's just uh, pushing you. It, it is. But you know what? Art, creating art or creating anything, you know, because I, I love writing music and, and, and just doing a whole bunch of things in the creative realm. It It's taxing. Like art, <laughs> I found art in particular. Painting really exhausts me in a in a good way and in a bad way, it's it takes a lot of emotional like kind of you know uh, wind out of my sails, um, and and I feel when I'm when I finish a, a really tough painting like I did a painting a couple weeks or last month, um, it's called Waiting for My Father and it's a it's a painting of my my son's at the top of these uh, stairs at one of our local train station and you know he's leaning away from the staircase and there's fish like swimming and salmon swimming up the stairs. And it's just kind of about, you know, you not having a connection with your father or father being absent, which struck a nerve with a lot of different people when I showed it to them. Everybody's asking, well, is that part of, you know, is that your experience? I'm like, well, not really. It's like I I glean from my experience and, and my emotional core sure. to, to, to present this. Uh, but it's really a storytelling. But it really, you know, Underlying it all is is my my emotions that goes that goes into this work, and it is it's it's exhausting. And then I have to be on point for my children and make sure that I'm not like emotionally vacant for them. Like so, I, I have this weird, you know, how much do I give? How much is being taken? And how much can you know can I have for everybody else? Um, so so that's why I don't push too too hard. Like. I know I'm going to get back in galleries, and I know I'm going to find other representation, but I'm not. I'm not going crazy trying to do it like right now, and I have to remind myself of that every now and then that you have time. The deadline is is just a construct, and it's not real. And you know, enjoy what you're doing, or try to. <laughs> so, I really, I really enjoy what I'm doing. It's just it's hard in the moment because you're really like just everything's crunching together at the same time. That really um, brings a. Great segue to what we were talking about offline, um, about when people chase their dreams. You have a day job, plus yes. you are also a board member of the Sing Me a Story Foundation, the resident theater company in Westchester. Mm-hmm. You're a founder of the Start Talking Art, you know, and it's mm-hmm. you have all these things going. It's a lot of them related to art, which is your dream, uh, but you have this day job, and right. you know that alone is time intensive, right? It takes about probably eight to 12 hours of your day. Yep. And then you come home, you have a family, right? Mm-hmm. Priority, taking that time. We were talking offline about how there are some people who who are kind of, it's very black and white. You either can chase your dream or you can't. Right. And if you have something else going on, forget it. I can't chase my dream because clearly I have all these other things going on. What is it about your schedule? Because, I mean, you don't sleep. 
We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet you still are doing this. I mean, why? <laughs> um, because I must. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a short. That's a short answer. the The thing with my career, you know, having my day job at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, which I love. I love my job. I love working with the doctors and the nurses, and you know, I, I create clinical education, um, education on safety, um, and, and, and act as a consultant for education programs there. And it's just, it's very rewarding. It's a nonprofit hospital. There's a, a great mission to it. Um, and it provides me a very good salary so that I don't have to worry about, you know, providing for my family and, you know, making sure that my kids, you know, have what they need and have savings for college. So that to me is worth the sacrifice of taking that chunk of time out of my creative day. Um, and it also is what inspires me to continue to create, even if I'm exhausted, because I, the legacy I want for my kids, and, and this is the question of what is, why does an artist create? Is it for their own sense of immortality? You want to be famous? You want to be in the museums? I thought that way when I was younger, but what it, what's really turned for me since having my children in a very profound way is I want them to know me better when I'm gone. Um, I had children when I'm old. I had my first child when I was 40. So I know I'm not going to be around forever. And I'm hoping they'll understand me more as adults, if, even if I'm not around, by looking at my work. And, and these vehicles, like Start Talking Art and being on you know, these different boards, allow me a different voice to show them the different things I'm passionate about. And my, my, my blog on art gives them insight into why I create, how I created. Um, so all these things take a lot of time, but it's worth it because I think it's the legacy my kids deserve. And it's less about me now. That's why I, I don't have to show my work to anybody or sell another piece because I have that financial security. Um, I'll still pursue that because I'm curious if I was working full-time as an artist again, like I was when I was younger, what that would look like right now and, and where my inspiration and, and my work ethic would, would take the work. I don't know. I mean, do I create so fervently because I don't have the opportunity to do it full time? Um, and every moment is like this you know, precious little gift that I get to create something. Um, so it's, it's a whole mix of, you know, everything, but that's, that's what drives me. That's why I don't sleep because I'm passionate about just creativity in general and helping others. And that's why Singing the Story Foundation is, you know, getting musicians paired up with children uh, at risk situations and, um, you know, foster care um, in, in hospitals where they can write their own story and have it created by a musician, you know, turned into a song that philanthropically and then just based on my, my core beliefs is, is awesome because, you know, it's another way of building, you know, children's, you know, especially who are at risk, their esteem and, and that they're part of something bigger, you know, that they're not alone. Um, the theater is, is, is just, it's just a, a great thing for any community. Um, so I, I'm involved in that heavily, but that also allows me to talk to a whole different group of people about creativity, about the artistic process, not just, you know, 2D art. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's about, you know, acting, music, you know, uh, it's where all the arts come together. And then, you know, Start Talking Art is my vehicle just for really crystallizing all those conversations about creativity at the foremost. It's like, why do we do what we do? And 
let's pull in the public who aren't artists and start speaking a bit more plainly rather than in art speak, um, which has always been one of my my pet peeves. Like I've never wanted to be that artist who spouts out theory and, and you know absurd uh, you know explanations for my work when there really are simple explanations, and that's okay. It's okay to be simple and have a direct idea and it doesn't have to be convoluted by you know some mysticism or (laughs) or or other things like that and uh so so those are my drivers and 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 they're they're exhausting but it's well worth it you know i i wouldn't change a thing to tell you the truth i mean that being said in the future if if there comes a point you know with your with your paintings with what you're doing uh, galleries collectors if it do you think that if a point came where you could be financially stable just doing art full time, would you be open to that? Absolutely. <laughs> I could actually, uh, yeah, okay. I'd, be, I'd be open to it. But uh, again, I really would be curious how that would affect my, 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 my work process. Um, cause you know, painting when I do it, cause I do it in these small spurts now. And like I said, it's very, it's draining. It's very draining in a, in a weird way. It's a, it's something I can't even, you know, describe with any kind of articulation. It's, you know, it drains your emotion. It drains you physically. It, right. It Cause you're putting you yourself to, into this art. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes I'm not, you know, sometimes I'm, you know, I do exercises where I'm just doing a painting that's, you know, just a still life and mm-hmm. it's really working on technique, but even that, cause like you're just constantly thinking, at any moment, I could make a horrible mistake, and this piece is ruined. <laughs> but you know, I can you can certainly fix it. But there's just this weird tug of war of like, you know, getting your brain to talk to your hand, and then having it forget about all that and just ha- letting it happen. Um, but yeah, working full time, having longer stretches of time to 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 kind of exhaust myself. I don't know how that would be. I'm curious. I'd certainly take it on. I'd take it on as a challenge. <laughs> right, because it could, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, right? It could be great that it's full-time, but at the same time, the other side could be that it wears you out. Yeah. Or you but, lose cre- creativity, maybe. Yeah, I'm a big fan of naps, so I figure you work a little bit, you nap a little bit, you work a little bit, you <laughs> nap a little bit. I'd be all for that. <laughs> naps are very powerful things. Oh, they're awesome. <laughs> so before we wrap up, Lol, I, I did wonder... Um, you know, when I first heard about you and the things you're doing, mostly painting, what is a different medium that you, if you could go back or if you had a chance to explore, you'd be interested in trying? Uh, you know, I tried most everything. I, I'm, I'm a big failure as a sculptor, so I wouldn't pursue that. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I really, I, cause I've, I've done performance art. I love that. I you know, did that for about five or six years and, and traveling the, the collegiate circuit, um, I love working in oils and I haven't worked in oils for quite a while just because uh, I'm impatient and I love the immediacy of, of acrylic. Um, and, but I just started using acrylic on paper and, and with ink and, and dried um, watercolors to get this really kind of dreamy effect on the paper, uh, which kind of changed the way I work. Like I did more detailed drawings, you know, prior to painting and, so, so that was an exploration into you know different, you know, even just different surfaces. Working on paper wasn't really my forte until, you know, the kids took over my big studio and I'm working in a small studio. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I, I need to work smaller now. So how do I change that? And it really changed my work profoundly, to tell you the truth. Um, just that you know something, so you know, and you just didn't realize that something would have an impact on your life. But just moving from one space to another, which I've done a lot, but moving to a smaller space. 
which I, I'm not used to, really kind of helped me focus and got me more detail oriented. And when I finally go back to larger paintings, I loosen up more. So I, I, I try and mix it up uh, between the two to keep it fresh. But um, now I don't know if there's any other medium. I, I actually, I, I like right where I am. I mean, this, this is my zone. And, uh, you know, I love doing video work. I should mention that. You know, that's, that's one of those, you know, I love being behind the camera and producing work for the hospital, but even for personal, uh, you know, projects. So that's something I might incorporate into my work in, in the future, some video elements and multimedia, um, which I've done in the past, but I, I, how to incorporate it into the 2D painting would be really interesting, especially with the advent of, of really thin monitors that you can actually put on a surface without it being like a big bulky monitor, you know, bulging out from behind a canvas. This sounds like a potential feature project. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, Lowell, before we wrap up, what is one thing you would recommend to a dream chaser? It could be a book, a resource, uh, organization, piece of advice, anything. What would you tell them? Uh, well, you know, when it comes to books, you know, people always ask me, well, what are you reading? What is, you know, what's inspiring you? And, and I, I always revert back to the classics. Like, I love Somerset Mom and The Razor's Edge. That was always one of my... I don't know why that book spoke to me, and it really inspired me for some reason. It was kind of a dour book, <laughs> but uh, um, but that's one I would recommend reading. Even like the the old beats and you know like on the road and and Ginsberg's poems and and stuff. But but I think the advice I would rather give is, you know, based on my own experience. I mean, I've been doing I've been creating art for over thirty years, and it hasn't been. 30 constant years of just creating. I start, I stop, I take new jobs, I've moved. There's all these things in life that keep you from, you know, from progressing in your creative endeavors, but that doesn't mean they're over. And I have a lot of friends, you know, uh, and people I've known that had dreams and they got paused or, or put aside for whatever reason and they just felt they were dead. And that's the last thing you should think. Dreams, you know, that, that you're pursuing, your passions, you know, th- you're the only barrier to picking that back up. Don't let anybody else keep you from, from picking up and pursuing your passions. Fear, um, you know, lack of confidence, lack of time, lack of money, none of these things should keep you from pursuing what it is you need to do. There, if you're creative, you find ways around it. I found it by just brute force, not sleeping, um, finding cheaper ways to create the work that I need to create. Fear, you just bully through it, you know, and the worst thing that can happen is, you know, you're unsuccessful at something, but then you figure out why you're unsuccessful and then you turn that into a a true success. You know, we don't get anywhere without failing and and learning from those failures. Um, So I always say, don't let your dreams lay dormant. You know, there's always time. There's always a way to kickstart it again. That was a great piece of advice, guys. Don't be so focused on the negative. Look at the positive. What do you have? And if it's something you really want, you'll find a way. And Law, I couldn't have said it better myself. That was awesome. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show and sharing that as well as your story. Absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Guys, how much fun is Law? He is Awesome. And even after we finished recording, we had such a good time chatting and take his, take his advice, you know, know what you want, own it. And don't focus on the negatives, focus on what you really want. 
because sometimes that passion that you have for your dream can outweigh the negative and can push you to finding a way to make it happen. Sometimes if you keep looking on the negative, you're going to miss out on all the positives of chasing your dream. So keep that in mind. And remember, you can find all the links mentioned today on the show notes page for this episode at ChasingDreamsHQ.com slash episode 41. That's episode 41. Until next time, Dream Chasers, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.